Dr. Michael Roizen. Dr. Michael Roizen. You, the Owner's Manual Radio Show. You're listening to 1057B, the guest of the You, the Owner's Manual Radio Podcast, Radio MD, iHeart, or wherever you download us from. Thank you very much for doing that. Do tell your friends about us, especially if you like us. 50,000 of you, we can't be wrong. Remember, the A's are the latest medical news of the week and what it means to you. The B is always great guests, and we have one lined up for you today. Benjamin Udelman is the co-director of the Maimonides Aortic Center in Brooklyn, New York. Um, is a member of the Think Aorta group, and he's going to tell us about what that group is, even its website. We, as usual, are brought to you by Persona Nutrition. You can find out how your diet is doing, what's missing or not, at personanutrition.com. And then if you want vitamins from them or supplements, if you're missing something in your diet, there's a nutritionist who can tell you how to make your diet perfect for what you're missing. Or you can get packs, morning and evening pack, um, or three-time-a-day pack if you need that or want that. Um, It's really incredibly convenient and incredibly good service. That's personanutrition.com. Our guest today is going to talk about being more alert about your aorta, especially women. And Dr. Udelman, thanks for coming on. What should someone know about their aorta? Well, thank you so much for having me. You know, your aorta is the largest blood vessel in the body. It comes out of the heart and gives rise to all the blood vessels. We call it the trunk of the tree. And what you need to know is that in the overwhelming majority of you, there will never be a problem with the aorta. But there are a select group of people, probably in the 5 to 7% of the population, that may have an enlargement of the aorta known as an aneurysm, or in some very unlucky cases, they may have a tear in the aorta, which is called a dissection, which can actually cause uh, some injury and some problems. So the aorta is a big vessel. It's the key vessel, if you will, the trunk of the uh, blood vessel tree in the body. Um, but um, do they? what do they do for it? I mean, they can't polish it. They can't see it. Um, how do they take care of their aorta, or what should they know are the symptoms if they have a problem with their aorta? Um, I should tell you, um, and I didn't tell Dr. Udelman this in advance, but um, I got to work. I was chief of cardiovascular anesthesia at at, um, UCSF in my youth and got to work with some great aortic surgeons of Ron Stoney, Bill Ehrenfeld, and Ed Wiley. Um, So I love the aorta and have a real fondness for it, as well as then with some great radiologists who uh, did things with the aorta and the trunk of the trees. Um, But let, and now I'm at Cleveland Clinic and obviously work with some great thoracic aortic surgeons as well. So I love the aorta, but we often see patients when they've had a problem with it what do they do to avoid a problem, and how do they even think about their aorta? 
So most of these aneurysms get detected uh, incidentally when patients come in for other problems. The emergencies obviously get detected suddenly when patients come in with a big problem. But the best thing that people can do is pay attention to their family medical history. And that's one of my big efforts with both my patient population here in New York City, as well as with the Think Aorta group, is a catchphrase of Think Aorta, Think Family. And the basics of that is that we now know that there are multiple genes that are involved in the structural creation of the aorta and all the complex parts that it has. When I was in medical school 20 years ago, we had a handful of diagnoses that many people have heard of, but unfortunately, that has created somewhat of a counterintuitive prejudice for people who take care of patients who may, might have an aneurysm or might have an aortic problem because their expectation is that they should look a certain way or be a certain way. When in reality, we now know that there are well over 30 genes, many of which are not associated with any particular type of look or any other disease processes. And these people go through their lives, some of whom will never get diagnosed, some of whom will get picked up uh, as having an aneurysm incidentally or on a screening test, which we can talk about, and others, unfortunately, will be picked up for an emergency. So by far, if you're going to ask me what the best thing that you can do for your life, both in terms of aortic disease and in terms of the other big ones, which, of course, are heart disease, stroke, diabetes, cancer, and then again, aortic disease. You can pick up on those by simply starting to have conversations with your parents and grandparents if they're still alive and your siblings and aunts and uncles and finding out what genes run in the family by finding out what diseases run in the family. And then you can be a much more educated consumer, as it were, when you approach your physicians about what might be a problem that could come up in your own life. So a common question might be, um, I got 23andMe, does it show if I've got those aortic genes that are going to give me this, or is it better to look at my family history? By far, it is better to look at your family history. And I'll give you the great example that I give some of my patients, and I have a very recent example. I see patients for many, many years who carry an enlarged aorta that we call an aneurysm, which is anything greater than four centimeters. Normal aorta is between two and a half and three and a half. So if you get to four, you're sort of outside the range. And I follow patients for years and years and years. And every year I graduate people in their 80s and 90s and I tell them, you've won, you've beat this, you've gotten to the point where I wouldn't even operate on you, you win. These people may have every single family member with an aortic aneurysm, but it doesn't become a pathologic problem, never becomes big enough to be of concern. Go from that side to the other side of the patients that I see, where I will see people with very small aortas who tell me a story of aortic dissection, unexplained sudden death in the family, their parents or grandparents had a massive heart attack that they were told years ago, but that they died suddenly, which we now know is probably not as common as 
maybe they died suddenly from some other cause, from a massive stroke or an aortic rupture. And if you know this family history, it is far better than any genetic test that you can get as of now in 2021. And that's because we're refining the information that we're getting from all of these genetic analyses, but we don't yet know what to do with some of that information, but we do know what to do with someone who has family members with aortic disease that has either caused them a problem or those who have not caused a problem. And we separate these family members into different risk stratified groups, and then we approach them with regards to preventive surgery or, or a operation on there to take the aneurysm out. And that, of course, is what we have to do in order to prevent them from having a rupture or a dissection. Now, you've, there are a whole bunch of things I can ask questions about relating to what we've just said. So one of which is you said gets big enough. I assume that means there's a size phenomenon on aortic aneurysms, and that means we've got to be able to, and you said follow them. And so how does one follow them? Is it by feel? Do you get a CT scan? What do you do routinely to follow such patients? And then when you've got a family history, should you push on your doctor to get some specific test? Absolutely. Um, with respect to the family history, um, your first question, um, the size of the aorta, we, we already said anything larger than four centimeters. Many of them, as we said, are picked up incidentally. And then we follow these patients with CAT scan or MRI. And there's a very specific reason why we do this. Ultrasound, which is done um, without any potential risk to your body, except the probe pushing on you hurts a little bit sometimes, can get very limited pictures of the aorta right where it comes out of the heart and then again in the belly. But there's a large segment of the aorta that is missed and unable to be visualized by ultrasound, which are sound waves because the sound waves don't go through the lungs very well. And we're forced to look at it with either a CAT scan or an MRI. And so we follow the patients once they're picked up incidentally, and we operate on them based on them achieving a certain milestone based on their risk stratified group. For the average patient who has no significant family history of aortic aneurysm, rupture, aortic dissection, unexplained sudden death, uh, cerebral hemorrhage, so bleeds in the brain, all of those patients will be operated on when their aorta gets to 5.5 centimeters, or if there's another reason to operate on their heart, like coronary artery disease or valve disease. Now, contrast that with a patient who has a strong family history of rupture or dissection. We will operate on the aorta when it's even smaller than that, and that decision will be made based on how much information we have about the family and how risky we think it is to leave the patient with an aneurysm. And there are different risk stratifications that we have to make. Now, so you follow them, and uh, 
many of us follow with ultrasound. You said, in fact, even better because of missing things, you follow, depending on where the aneurysm is, you might follow with a CT scan or an MRI. The second component was the size, and you said 5.5 centimeters, I assume, is that both a thoracic in the chest aneurysm as well as an abdominal aneurysm, or is there a difference in those sizes? And secondly, is there are there symptoms that bring the patient back to you, even if it's a smaller aneurysm? Oh, that's a great question. So in terms of the sizing, we remember the, the causes of us to come up with these sizes has to do with the risk of injury to the patient if we don't operate compared to the risk of injury to the patient if we do operate. And as surgery has gotten safer and safer, and we've developed endovascular and minimally invasive ways of treating these aortic aneurysms, we actually have... And by endovascular, by, by endovascular, what do you mean? We will actually go in through the groin and enter into the arteries, put wires, and then put expandable stents that are covered with fabric and bridge the distance across a dilated area of the aorta from a normal aorta to a normal aorta on the other side and exclude the area of aneurysm in order to decrease the pressure in that area and decrease the risk of rupture. And this procedure can be done with a patient coming to the hospital for one day or maybe two days uh, with much less risk of, of harm. And because of that, we lower the size by which we treat some of these because we don't want to risk the patient rupturing, and we know that we can actually treat a lot of them more safely. So I think what I heard by endovascular, you mean using uh, going inside a blood vessel and instead of cutting and making a big abdominal incision or a big side incision with a lot of uh, skin involved and suturing involved with the skin, you're going and putting a wire in there to stabilize things and then some graft material which bridges the, what I heard is the aneurysm, bridges the, the edges of the aneurysm to, to help prevent rupture by having the blood go through the center of this fabric, um, if you will, tube. That's correct. So we've been talking, and we are going to continue talking, with Dr. Udelman, Y-O-U-D-E-L-M-A-N, of MAMO, Maimonides, M-A-I-M-O.org, and then you can go slash Udelman to find him, Maimonides.org Center. He's the co-director of the Maimonides Aortic Center, and the point is about the Think Aortic Group, is the group he's representing so that all of us can prevent the unforced error of a sudden uh, large death um, associated with a blowout of the aneurysm. Now, in my day, we talked about smoking and hypertension as well as stress being some of the uh, big risk factors in this in addition to um, genetic preponderances. Is that still true? Is it is it high blood pressure and high blood cholesterol and uh, tobacco usage that are still the real risk factors for this? Once you get to 
a group of patients who all have a genetic predisposition. Subtracting smoking and subtracting high cholesterol and adding um, some good dietary choices uh, and treating blood pressure are the best things that we have. Um, but the most important thing, and we're learning this both in terms of heart disease, aortic disease, cancer, the, the most important thing moving forward, I believe we're going to learn in the next 20 years, is going to be a genetic predisposition. I think we all know many of patients, and especially when we were kids, we knew these older people who smoked their whole life, and they would say, oh, it didn't matter, it didn't matter. And then there's other people that never smoke, and they wind up with heart disease. I'm not encouraging anyone to smoke by any means, but I'm pointing out that there's such dramatic variation in people's body's ability to deal with the onslaught of toxins and chemicals and things that people will put in their bodies. So that there is definitely an important message, which is to take care of your body because it's the only one you get, but the things that you also get with it are predispositions for certain diseases and focusing on your own personal risks by far is more important than probably a lot of the other stuff that you hear about on TV. Now, um, I, I want to cover one more topic before we end. Part of this came out of a study, part of our desire to talk to you, came out of a study of women versus men um, and the preponderance and, and the fact that uh, women seem to be ignoring their own risk. Um, tell us about the study and, and what that is with women. So the study was done uh, in aortic dissection, and the study basically was looking at the differences between men and women in terms of outcome and in terms of what the possible causes for these difference in outcome. Why would a woman and a man with the same disease process in hands of capable surgeons have different outcomes? And some of the things that certainly came out, were all related to delays of diagnosis and therefore delays of treatment, not because the person was female, but because once the delay occurs because of personal or uh, other obligations or stoicism, which by far um, is the most likely cause, that the delay from the onset of an aortic dissection or a tear in the main trunk of the aorta that can cause abnormal blood flow to any of the vessels of the body, low blood pressure, blood around the heart that can impede blood pressure and blood flow. Once that starts, we know that time is directly related to the outcomes. And women overall have worse outcomes and the likelihood is directly related to the fact that when these events occur, and they are very dramatic, a woman will delay presenting to medical care by a period of time, and that delay imparts an increased risk of death and injury. Um, so women have as great a risk as men, a greater risk of this, or it is just the delay in their seeking help gives them a worse prognosis? Well, that's the most interesting part about uh, the study, which is that it reinforced what we already knew, which is that for every 
woman that has this condition, men have, there are two men for every woman. So it is much more common in men, but that the women have worse outcomes, not because people don't expect them to get these things because it is still fairly common, but because that their presentation to the hospital just from the onset of symptoms and sometimes the symptoms are a little bit variable compared to the classic symptoms. Now, this was also seen in heart disease where women will get jaw pain and some funny shoulder pains and tooth pain, very different than men, which often get classic um, left-sided arm pain and things of that nature. So women are different. I think everybody in medicine certainly knows that. Most people who are walking around on the face of the earth will know that as well. But that this study points out that there's some other aspects, likely stoicism, social aspects, challenges of wanting to take care of themselves. Maybe women who are taking care of other people don't think about themselves first. A lot of comments were made by the authors, but there's no question that it reinforced what we already know, which is that any dramatic symptoms should be brought directly to medical care and that if we get these patients to the hospital diagnosed and treated, which is the goals of the Think Aorta group to get the education out there. We can do as good a job on men as women, but we've got to get people to think about the aorta and think about their family medical history such that they consider it whenever something like this should occur and bring it up to their physicians and certainly their emergency physicians if something should happen. We should thank Dr. Udelman of the Maimonides uh, Medical Center, who is the co-director of the Maimonides Aortic Center in Brooklyn, New York, um, for uh, educating us so well about the aorta. Uh, you can find out more at the thinkaortagroup.org or at MAMO, M-A-I-M-O dot org, and uh, then look for Dr. Udelman, Y-O-U-D-E-L-M-A-N, um, there. If I um, can correct, we, I apologize. It's it's uh, actually the thinkaorta.us is our United States website. The global website uh, is thinkaorta.net. But the United States website is thinkaorta.us. We are currently in six countries. Very excited to announce that as well. Thinkaorta.us. Yes. Um, this is, um, we are brought to you as usual by Persona Nutrition. You can find out a whole bunch of information about your diet, what you're missing or not, and how you can improve it. You get to talk to a nutritionist and dietitian just for logging on. It's free, as is the test at personanutrition.com. It's a quick test where you just put in information about your diet and yourself, and you can find out an awful lot about your nutrition. That's at personanutrition.com. It is a Nestle-owned company. I want to thank Dr. Udelman, but especially, and, and of course, Caitlin, who is our great engineer, but especially you for downloading us and listening. Uh, tell your friends about us, do rate us, and you can always um, email me at um, the whenway.com, whenway.com, info at whenway.com. 
to at, suggest guests or tell us um, what you would like changed with the program. That's info at wenway.com. Thanks again, Dr. Udelman, and thank you. We'll be back next week. We have a wonderful array of guests coming up, so do tune in. And, of course, the medical news of the week and what it means to you is always changing and exciting. Thanks again.